You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. It is Exodus 20:15, you shall not steal. You all can now have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their class. The focal passage is often a, a little buffer for me to get up here and get ready, and uh, that's not so much the case when it's just four words. My name is Michael. Am I good? I can't hear me up here. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, and thanks so much for coming together um, to sing and pray as one in Christ. And, and we get to sit under the word together. And so thanks for, um, le- legitimately, thanks for coming out this morning so that we might do that. I want to take you back, um, maybe by way of time machine, circa 1992, 1993 maybe. Um, Christmas Eve, I am, uh, depending on what year it was, 92, 93, I'm around 11 years old-ish. And uh, I could not have been more excited. I, I had asked for a, a Chicago Blackhawks starter coat, all right? Um, I was in an NHL phase, right? It's a, a hockey team, um, for those of you who don't know that. And so it's kind of like uh, I, I was all in. And my, my grandma, she passed away a few years ago, but she was like the best gift giver. And so like I was pretty confident she was going to deliver, right? And and so, uh, and, and she did, right? It's Christmas Eve, we open gifts or whatever. And I'm like a play it cool guy, like, when I'm really excited, my excited face is like, I mean, if you know me, like, and when I'm like really down, it's like, you know, it's, and so like, I like to keep my emotions under the vest a little bit, but not that day. Like that day, I was just like, yes, I'm probably like flexing, fist pumping. I think I put the coat on and unwrapped the rest of my gifts, you know, like, um, and so I was just so excited. Um, a, a few days later, I think, I remember it still being winter. Again, this is like reaching in the crevices of my brain. It was still winter. There was snow on the ground. I think it was still Christmas break, right? That was the thing, uh, winter break, right, for you modern types or whatever. And, and so I had not gotten to go to school to show it off yet. I go to the YMCA, hang out with a friend. We shoot hoops for an hour or two, whatever, come back to our locker, um, that we had put all our stuff in with no lock on it, and my coat was gone. And, and it, was, it was a short-lived treasure, right? Um, I, I, I remember in the moment feeling lots of things. That was probably the first time that I recall feeling like victimized by theft. You know, when I was like angry and I was like confused, like, no, is this, maybe it's the next one, you know, looking all over, like, this is impossible. Like, where's my coat? Uh, I was frustrated. I think in the moment I was probably like mad at myself, like, why didn't we lock our stuff? That, you know, but then it's like, hey, this isn't my fault. Someone took my coat. And then I'm just thinking like, was it that dude that we were, you know, that we were balling with? Like, just like, just trying to figure at least all the things out because there's so much unknown. And so, just lots of feelings. Since then, man, I've had other stuff stolen. Uh, when I lived in Trenton, someone just kind of petty theft broke into my car, stole a GPS. Um, for, for some of you, it looked like this, but it only told you where to go, right? 
And, and so it was in my car. I left it in my car. And for some, that's like not a big deal. For me, I, I can't get home from here. And so like that was a really big deal for me. Um, and so that was frustrating. Um, later on, we've, we've actually had theft here. All right, stuff broken into here, stuff stolen from this space. Um, and so that's like you come in. I remember opening my office door. And I'm like, that looks off, and there's a big hole in the wall, which I don't remember being, and, and it was just like, you're just piecing it all together, and then you're like, wait, this is, someone's been in my desk, and, and it's just like the worst feeling. You're like, oh, no, like, are they here? You know, just all those things. From my house since, chainsaw, tools, and one, uh, one time we had some stuff stolen, the bikes, kids' bikes, and, and and a scooter, and so since then, while well, we have cameras around here, and we have cameras at our house, all right, alarm system, and all that stuff, but man, in each of those instances, kind of the same feeling, just, just really frustrated, and, and the reality is, every time I see somebody ride a bike, like, past my house in the alley, I'm like, looking at them sideways, and like, thinking, hey, did you just put some black paint on my son's bike, you know, like, just looking at them sideways or whatever, and, and that's what theft does. It, it breaks down community, and it breaks down trust, and it breaks down love for neighbor, and, and honestly, it, it increases cynicism. Like, I've, I've felt that in me, in the way that I look at humanity when we become kind of victims of crime that way. I know, and many of you maybe have experienced this, but in the instance of, like, home invasion, there's, like, real impact of, of safety and and security, and all those things, and not just for kids, but for adults as well. So the question is, like, why do people, why do people steal? Um, there was an, uh, an article in Psychology Today, and, and it was called, Why Do People Steal? And so I thought that would be helpful, right? And so th- some of the things that she said, uh, I'll kind of give the, the high level of this. She said, kids, they may take change off of a table or, or a small toy, uh, until their parents kind of make them go back into the store and say, hey, I, you know, I took this or whatever. As adults, we sometimes casually take a box of Kleenex from a hotel room, and, and some might even take a, a towel or a bathrobe, thinking most probably, I'm paying enough for this hotel room, they could give me a few tissues, right? Um, Socrates, uh, somebody that I don't, we're not aligned in lots of things, but in, in this we are, she quoted him as saying, Socrates says that, that no one knowingly commits an evil action. Now, that's probably not true, but I, I get what he's going with. No one knowingly commits an evil action. Evil is turned into good in the mind. So the thief convinces himself that he has a right to the object he desires. He needs it more than the other does, and so it is rightfully his, which is kind of like the foundation of entitlement, right, um, of, of I deserve at your expense. And, and what we're doing in those moments is just self-justifying. It's, it's justification, and, and we all do that when someone comes at us and you start to tear down their argument, but really it's just self-preservation at first. And um, Paul Tripp says it this way. He says we have like a, a, a really good inner lawyer, and, and this, this lawyer voice is really good at justifying our actions. She went on to say, it's, it's easier to steal from a large organization 
than from an individual. It's easier to steal from someone who seems well off than someone who is poor, from a stranger than a friend. And, and look, these aren't tips, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, is e- okay, right? Yeah, that is easier, yeah. That, it's not tips for you, right? It's just kind of talking about the, the human nature of things. But what about someone who has all they need and they steal anyway? And she, she talks about that. She says some steal for excitement and for thrill and, and for boredom and for intrigue and, and for challenge. And some in their minds self-justify and some, uh, again, kind of vigilante justice type of way as their theft is payback. And what's so interesting is I started thinking of that. And there are so many movies and, and just stories that we watch that, that celebrate something like theft because it's really like, it's really getting the, the man, right? And I don't know if that's okay either, but, but, but what about the thief, right? Uh, secretive and, and uncaring and selfish, entitled to my stuff without concern for me or what I have or my work or my needs. The theft uh, disregards fellow humanity. But here's the deal. In, in God's design for community, that, that is not so. In, in fact, kind of the main crux of, of what we're looking at and, and the burden of this, just four words, is this. In God's city, it's better to give in secret than to steal from your neighbor. Right? So, so we're journeying along. If, if this is your first time gathering with us, we've been working through the book of Exodus for, for a long time. And so we stopped at this point where we're just working through each of the, the ten words or the ten commandments, but this finds us in kind of a different place. God was establishing his people. He had, he had reached in and, and, and pulled them out of, of the grip of Pharaoh and Egypt, and he, and he brought them, his people, into a place of freedom. And he invited them to begin to have a relationship with him. And, and in, our, like in our context, in Christ. God does the same thing. He pulls us from the grip of sin and invites us to be his family. In this context, it was Israel in a confined space, the nation of God. But in our context, it is the church scattered out wherever we are for all who are in Christ. And he begins to show them what it looks like to be a community, to be a family. All right, And so we're working through this, and what we see is like you don't have to be an ancient Jew to know that stealing breaks community. Stealing hurts unity. In the right situation, stealing can even expedite or reveal our heart's desire to break other laws. Like just this week, I read about a man whose ex wouldn't give him half of her $1,400 stimulus, half of of her stimulus, and and he not only murdered her, but her whole family. And you think, for for 700 bucks? That's, That's the world we live in? So we see this, Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. It's, it's, it is as simple as it is. You shall not take what you have no right to. You shall not take without knowledge from the owner. You shall not call your own what isn't yours. 
you, you do not get to claim right to someone else's stuff. You don't get to cheat in such a way that benefits you at the expense of someone else. All right? Don't steal stuff. Now, this next slide, I know you're not going to be able to read any of it whatsoever, right? But I thought it was important enough. So if you're watching online, you can do a screenshot or whatever or, or take a picture because this is like a bunch of types of stealing. I'm, I just want to read through these, right? Uh, burglary and robbery, those are two different things, right? Well, and you might say, what's the difference? Read the fine print, right? It's, it's right there. Uh, these are things that you hear like on the news and you're like, what is that, all right? Larceny, I have no idea what that is, but, but if you read that, it, it's taking someone's uh, stuff without permission and not returning it. Hijacking, using force to take goods in transit or seizing control of a bus, truck, or plane. And again, these aren't ideas on what you can do, Right? Shoplifting, picket, uh, pickpocketing, purse snatching, embezzlement, extortion, and one of our favorites, racketeering, which sounds to me like theft, right? Obtaining money by an illegal means, by any illegal means, that's racketeering, all right? So stop that. Um, most people know that stealing is wrong. W- whether you're uh, in Christ and, and part of God's family or not, like you kind of have that idea, and yet, it would be generous to say most people have stolen. I, I think we, we can say we've all stolen to some degree or another. In fact, one hotel reported in its first year of business having to replace 38,000 spoons, 355 coffee pots, and over 100 Bibles. But in the moment, you're like, hey, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a spoon. It's just a whatever, but, but clearly for that business owner, the, those, those, it's just to kind of racked up against them a little bit. So, so here we have Paul. Paul the apostle had this interaction with Jesus. In the first century, he goes on and he, he plants churches. He gathers uh, Jews and, and, he, and he proclaims the gospel to them and they find their hope in Christ and, and not in the law and, and he establishes churches upon churches upon churches wherever he goes and, and he writes letters and one of the letters that he wrote was to the Romans and, and what we see in chapter 13 he says this he, he kind of helps us get at what's going on here he says for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet. These things are like what Paul's doing. He's commentating on the Old Testament just like we are today. He says these things and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so with all of these, we, we've, we've shown that, that there is a negative, right? There, there is a negative, like, don't steal. But then the flip is there's a positive, and in, in, in Paul shows us all of these things are really about love of neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And I can't overstate this enough. The law of God, Ten Commandments and otherwise, exist to show us what we don't know. To show us, up until this point, God's people and their relationship with him had looked a lot like this. I'm God. Do you trust me? And, the, and, and God's people said, we trust you. 
And God said, I'm yours. And the people said, you are ours and, and, and we are yours. And he said, follow me. And we see men and women walking in this relationship, but, but they didn't have all of, of, they didn't know what it looked like to, to, to walk in a way that honored him. And what he's doing through his law that, that we find here in Exodus and, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament in, in a ton of different ways is he's showing them what love looks like. What it looks like to live in such a way that brings glory and honor to him and, and that loves the ones around us, our neighbor. And so, uh, the fulfillment of the law of God is to live a life of love. The fulfillment of the law of God is to live a life of love. And, and so you might be saying, yes, I say this all the time. Why do we have to figure out all the details? and all? The, can't we just love one another? And, and can't we just let people love the way they love? And can't we? But here's the thing. This is really, really important. We don't get to define what love looks like. God does. Because he is perfectly good and he's perfectly true and he's perfectly just. And, and he is the epitome of perfect love. He shows us what it looks like to live in a community that loves him, that receives his love, and that loves one another perfectly. So, if, if love is the aim and the foundation of, of a covenant community, of God's family, well, how does stealing cut against that community? Three things. One, stealing mistrusts God's provision. All right? This is, like, the word for steal is similar to the language at the beginning of, of this book, the beginning of the Bible. In, in Genesis 3, uh, we see uh, the first few chapters of, of the story of God and man. God says, look, I, I'm yours. He said, and, and he creates all these things, and he, and he creates Adam. And he says, I made you in my image. And Adam was alone, and so, so God made a, a suitable companion for him, Eve. And he let Adam name everything else, and he gave them rule and, and dominion over everything as God's image bearers. And, and, and he said, all of this is yours except for one thing. Don't eat of that tree. That, that fruit is not for you. And, and what did Adam and Eve do? And, and like it's, it's teased out, and they were deceived and, and all kinds of things, but they ate of that, that fruit. They ate of that tree. And, and so... What happened there, this is huge because it reveals the deeper motivation to take what's not ours reflects a void about God's provision. God is provider and he is good and he knows what's best. And, and Adam and Eve trusted that until they didn't. And they stepped outside of, of what obedience looked like to trust God. And they took what they thought was best. That's what theft does. So what's the lie? The lie is that God is holding back from you. And if God's holding back from me, then I must take provision into my own hands and do it my own way. And in case we are confused about the way that God provides, he, he provides in all sorts of ways. We see him in the Old Testament, literally people waking up and there's manna on the ground and they, they gather it up and they... They bake it and they prepare it one day at a time, right? And they, they take care of all of, of, of those things out of the provision that God had given them. 
But, but the normal way that God provides, he, he shows us throughout his book the wisdom that he invites us into in the way that we live our life. The normal way of provision is through the way in which he has built community to function. Remember, uh, we talked about this when we, when we looked at the Sabbath. Work existed before sin. That's really important. When you hate your job, that's really important to remember. That work existed before sin. Now, it's different after sin, but, but that's important for us to know. And, and even more than that, in the creation account, rest existed before work. And, and yet, God invites us in to, to work hard. That is the way of life. And, and we, we read these just a few weeks ago. But, but the New Testament tells us that if you don't work, you don't eat. And you can say, that's really tough. But, it, but it's building into the fabric of humanity how we function best. And, and he goes on and he says, if you're unable to provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And, and you can say, well, man, that, that's uh, tough on lots of accounts. But the idea is not undercutting dignity of the unbeliever. What it's doing is it's, just, it's saying that the, the way that we work best together is each of us bearing our own weight. And so there's lots of, of just wisdom in the way that the work of our hands produces God's blessing in, in just the day in, day out, right? So we get to use all of the raw resources that God has blessed us with in, in the earth and the gifts and the talents and the will that we have and the abilities and, and creativity and, and put our hands toward benefit and productivity. The work of our hand to contribute and provide is the way that God has designed life, community, to, to fit together for the greatest impact, for our greatest joy, for his highest glory. So, so just four real quick things when we look at the way that God provides one through hard work, right? That, that's, this is a good thing. Through hard work, we get to carry our own weight. Secondly, through generous living. We get to be God's people, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but, but we get to give back to God, and we get to care for one another. We get to plan well. right? We get to have wise stewardship about us. And so there's nothing wrong with, with being wise in the way that you manage all that God has given you. In fact, he, he demands that of us. That we handle the things that he has given us, and, and I'm not just talking about money, but all that he has given us, stuff and, and skills and gifts and, and abilities and all those things, that we get to handle those. And then all the while we get to do those things while giving thanks, that knowing that, that, that all of this is from the Lord. And so when we steal, or when we don't live out of this wisdom that he invites us into, we're not just robbing from our neighbor we're stealing from the Lord in his design for us. Recently, we, uh, in a family meeting, we kind of rolled out a, a little bit of a language shift around the things that, you know, uh, that kind of guide us as a church. Um, and, and I, I want to throw these on the screen. You, you may have heard these things before, right? Uh, the Village Church is a community 
that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission. You guys know that? You've heard that before. Um, well, why do we do that? Well, we do that to, to make, mature, and multiply disciples. Now, that's language that we had said, we've said for years, but we kind of just said, no, if we're not doing that, nothing else matters. Literally. In, in every pocket of us being the village church, if we're not making, maturing, and multiplying disciples, then we might as well be a, a, a club of any type. And we're not a club of any type. We are God's church. So that's what we get to do. And so everything that we have, we get to put towards that individually, together, friendships, and certainly as a church collectively. Why? To see God made known in every part of his city, through every part of our lives. That's what we get to do together. So stealing from a neighbor, it undercuts all of that, which is really a slight against God as designer and provider. In God's city, it's better to give in secret than, than it is to steal from your neighbor. But, but it's not only against God that theft uh, hurts. And this is the second thing. Stealing, from, uh, stealing, from, uh, stealing devalues neighbor. God establishes a city, a people, where, where humans honor and value one another. And theft, it doesn't do that. But again, you already know that. It's crime against fellow man. People steal more than coats from YMCA lockers with no lock on them. Friends, spouses, people steal those things. And they do that through manipulation and shady motives. People steal moments and lifetimes and dignity and time and innocence through abuse and, and murder. People steal money and stuff through the, the stealth of night or when our backs are turned. People steal company time when, when we don't demonstrate a God-glorifying work ethic or, or when we allow our, our co-workers um, to do the work that we should be doing. And I know I talked about group projects just a, a few weeks ago, but, but the idea of a group project, and, and there's this idea of, hey, I want to be with that person because thief. Employers steal through, through shady business dealings. Look, this week I was just thinking, man, how do people steal? And probably 10 times... Uh, in interacting with my kids this week, I was like, thief. Hey, you come in here every day. You put your book bag on the chair. You put all kinds of other stuff. Put your shoes on the island. Why would you put shoes where food goes? And here's what you, you walk away. And I'm going to have to clean it up. You're, you're stealing my time. You're a thief. Yesterday soccer tournament. I'm, I'm driving, you know, like the person who parks and they straddle two lines, and I, I, I just stop and I say, how is this real life? <laughs> how can you not, I mean, seriously, there are lines. And we're not living in disorder and chaos. Just park in the, like, stay in your lane. Thief. 
That's what I'm thinking. That's how sermon prep looks for me. Thief, someone stealing from me. My, my parking spot and now my time. Now my joy. You get the idea. Lots of ways we steal. In, in infinite list. And the thing about theft is it's not primarily about those things. It's about people. That, that's what theft. Theft looks for ways to take, but, but God's call for his people is to look for ways to give. And if there's a single takeaway, like just a real practical heart motivation today, it would be this. Demand less of others and more of yourself. And you might say, well, that's like not a gospel-oriented thing. Like, we'll get to Jesus, like take a deep breath, all right? But just in a practical, think of all the ways that you demand something from others and you're not willing to give that. We, we are like masters of efficiency, right? We want to do as little as possible and, and get the biggest bang for buck. And man, in so many instances, that just becomes slighting one another, and it might be small, it might be a sliver, it might be fractions of cents, so to speak. But man, what if we were a people that, that didn't look to do it that way, but we looked for ways to, to give to others rather than demand and take? Um, this, and to be clear, this is not an instance where you get to go home, and, and because uh, I'm getting ready to talk about generosity and what that looks like, you, you don't get to go home and say, hey, didn't you hear what Michael said? He said it's better to give than to receive. And so, pay up. Now, now, this is not about you demanding anything other than laying your life down to give to others. That's what you get to demand, all right, today. So, we shall not steal, but, but, but the positive of that, uh, we shall look for ways to honor and give to fellow humans. Bill Gates, uh, Jeff Bezos said it earlier, um, I, I believe, from what I can tell, that the Bill Gates is the one that said this first, but the point is, two really, really rich people said this, all right? If you are born poor, it's not your mistake, but if you die poor, it is your mistake, okay? I don't know the context, I'm not villainizing that line, the motive behind that, but, but I, just as I hear it, I, I can get it. And I can get that people have abilities to, to overcome their lot. And, you know, everyone can start a lemonade stand and, and be money-wise. And so I, I get the idea, stop making excuses. You know, I, I get that. That judgment is, is fair, right? Don't blame others or circumstances, but, but you have the ability to change your lot. And, and I'd also say this, just, just as an encouragement, like if you work hard and you, and you make a decent living, um, man, that's not something to bear guilt or shame about because we get to do that. Right? You, you get to do that. that. That's okay. Grace is free, but, but hard work pays. And, and men, we see some truths that line up with the scriptures about that. that that's okay. I'm not coming against any of that. But there's also a reason why everyone isn't the richest person in the world. What, what's the reason? Well, well, we don't all have the same starting line. And we don't all have the same resources and we don't all have the same brain we don't all have the same skills or drive or determination or teaching or coaching or wisdom and so what we get to do we get to acknowledge the value of one another in a way that that uh that builds them up rather than than pushes or, or, or pulls them down 
We get to, to look at one another with, with an equal level of, of value and human dignity. And we get to understand that all of this that's come out of my mouth today is not economic. It's about the way that we think about one another. About the dignity that we give fellow humans made in the image of God. Broken? Absolutely. And so when we hear something like that, or, or when we judge the person next to us and say, man, why don't they just, could they, we have to understand that all that we have is a gift from the Lord, all of it. And when we remember that, then we, then we get to like, oh gosh, so I get to steward the gifts, the, the brain, if you're, if you're uh, money smart and savvy, you get to steward that for God's glory. Not in judgment, not in pride or arrogance, but you get to be thankful and, and walk in ways that, that build his kingdom rather than tear it down. Theft prioritizes self over neighbor. And a thief may justify and, and they won't even know that it's gone. And, and they have so much money that, that they won't even know that they need to replace it. Or, or in, in instances of, of cheating in a relationship, one might even justify by, by claiming that, hey, you know, like, it wasn't just me. There were two people involved. Like, stop. We don't have to justify. Whatever the justification, the results are the same. That we are contributing to, to breaking down God's design for community. We're tearing apart the city. And, and all of that is thinking ourselves better than our neighbor. And, and it's not a demonstration of love to neighbor at all. It's, it's not help, but it is harm. It's, it's not giving, but it's taking. It's not building community, but it's tearing community. It's, it's not reflecting God's nature, but it's tarnishing God's nature. We see this. Jesus says, don't let the left know what my left ear. You get it. Don't let the left know what the right is doing as it relates to generosity. What he's saying is like, man, just as a thief steals in, in the cloak of, of night, we get to be generous where we're not even aware. We're, we're not celebrating, hey, look how great I am and I gave. That's, that's not what we get to do in Christ. But we get to be generous in secret. Imagine this for a second. Imagine not having your things taken in the stealth of night. And that feeling of like, oh, what? But imagine anonymous generosity running through the relationships in, in this city, in your world, wherever that is. And all of those little things are, are, are cutting against one another and cutting against unity. But, but what, if, what if God's people were people that, that went out of their way to, to build up? And, and so those, uh, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that someone stole this. How could they? How could they devalue? What if that flipped and, and we were su surprised by the generosity of the others in such a way that said, how could they? How could someone love me so much? That was a cute baby cry right there.
In God's city, it's better to give in secret than steal from your neighbor. Lastly, stealing undoes our calling in Christ. I mean, Paul tells us in Ephesians this, this really helpful thing. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says in, in chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, remember, don't steal is the baseline for, for flipping self-entitlement and self-service into generosity and sacrifice for others. Don't take from but care for one another. Honest work with your own hands so that you may have everything that you desire, so that you may have the desires of your heart, so that your wildest dreams will come true. That, that's, that's not what it's, that's what the American dream says. But what this says is, work hard, honestly, with your own hands, so that we may have more to give to those in need. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's quite a flip on the way that I think about the work of my hands, the stuff that God allows me to manage. Is this the way that you think of, of money and time and stuff? See, God flips norms. He exchanges hearts. He transforms our desires. I work hard. I save well. I invest. I, I, I. Therefore, I'm entitled to my stuff for my gain and my ends. And guess what? I might be entitled to yours as well. That, that's not what we see in Christ. Because everyone belongs because everything that we have belongs to God, we get to view our stuff and our gifts and, and our determinations and all of those things as opportunities to reflect God and his generosity to those around us. You think of the idea of like a tomb treasure and, and a pharaoh being buried in a pyramid or in a cave or whatever, and he takes all of his stuff and all of the gold and all the riches of his life, and we have tomb raiders tell us why that's just a foolish idea. Because it's still there. And someone else is then just taking your stuff. But, but when we hoard and when we steal for this world, we do the very same thing. Do you know that in the Old Testament, it is littered, and we're going to look at a few in, in coming weeks, but we're going to look at a few uh, passages that, that help paint out some of these pictures, but do you know that, that it is littered with the commands for God's people to give to the poor, to the sojourner, to the stranger, the wanderer, the outcast, the afflicted, the disabled, the wounded? Do you know that? And, and here's the thing. If you heard those words, and you've heard anything that I've said today, and you thought that I was making political statements, can I tell you this? You're listening to the wrong voice. And you're listening to the one that aims to steal and kill and destroy. Not the one that wants to build up. To reflect the generous love of our God to us. 
this year alone, it's March, right? Maybe, the, maybe, maybe I would include the end of last year. You all have given thousands of dollars to other people. Do you know that? And, and so as many people give to the local church, and we give that out in lots of ways, uh, I just want to tell you a few ways. Brothers and sisters in need, you've given to them. You, you've helped with house payments and utility payments. I think it was the end of last year, um, we worked with another church that was working with uh, a city agency. And, and you all, through your giving to the village church, like, like paid, uh, I think it was like 75%, 500 bucks, something like that, um, to help somebody in, in the, the, the social system of this city who didn't have the means to provide for themselves uh, as a child hearing aids. You guys did that. We got to do that. All right? Um, just, just this week, I got to give a $250 check to a guy who's being assessed through Acts 29 so that he might be a church planter that's supported and that, that builds up and, and equips other uh, churches and, and sends out other churches. I, I paid for his application. You all paid for his application um, to, to uh, the Acts 29 assessment. So I got to give him a check, and, and I got to say, bro, we these people in this room love you. They don't know you, but they care for you, and they care for the kingdom, and they want to sow seed that, that takes this truth, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. We, we got to do that. Man, at the end of last year, some of y'all gave in, in such a way that, that enabled us to, to contribute so, so that our guy Mitch in Guatemala could buy some, some Bibles and some resources for, for his church that he's establishing in rural Guatemala, Los Toledos, outside of Cuilapa, Guatemala. And, and just uh, in January, we, we preached and we talked about that a little bit. And, and you guys gave like six or $700 to help some of us go. In just over a month, seven of us are going to go and spend some time there. You, you guys gave to that so that we can learn from, so that we can invest in the kingdom to the ends of this earth. What a gift. But look, it's not the law that turns a thief into a giver. It's... It's the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus that transforms our hope and gives us new life. That lets us, uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather be, uh, be, be doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. And we see no clearer picture of this in the flesh than God himself, who gave up everything and, and, and all that, that, that was came from him, and he, and he gave it up to give us everything that, that we had absolutely no right to. Jesus became the unthief, and, and he had a clear mission, and, and it was nothing existed apart from him, and yet he gave up heaven and earth, and, and he put on a body of flesh, and he contributed to the, to the perfect work of his hands, obedience to his Father in every way, and he gave up his life so that he might share with us righteousness and life to all who would believe and to none who deserved it. What a gift. It is this work that, that reframes our hearts from, from one of selfish gain to one that seeks the benefit of, of neighbor and God's glory. And we deserve nothing good, and yet we, we can receive everything good. 
including God himself. We are entitled to death by the works of our hands and for our selfish sin and rebellion against God, and yet we receive life by trusting Christ alone. What a gift of generosity. As the band comes on up, I'm just going to throw three real quick things um, just to make note in terms of an action. Uh, We might say, well, so what? Well, we get to acknowledge that everything that we have is from the Lord. If you start there, that will change the way that you might steal, and that will change the way that you might give. Secondly, we get to work in such a way as to provide for our needs through honest work with a thankful heart. And lastly, we get to live generously with all the resources that God has given us to manage. Man, and when I get my head around all of this, you know what? Like it makes me want to, to, give, to give my Blackhawks coat up rather than to be destroyed that it was taken. You know what I'm saying? In God's city, it's better to give in secret than steal from your neighbor. So we get to respond. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and sing. You can pray at the prayer bench over there if you would like some time by yourself. There will be someone available to pray with you by that red tree over there. And if you're in Christ, we get to remember his work on our behalf. We get to remember and declare by taking communion. Uh, The little cup has um, juice in there and a little wafer on top, and that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for, for us that we might have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his body that was broken on our behalf. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your gift. And thank you that that in so many ways we are all just a bunch of thieves. By your grace, you gave us what we had no right to, and that was you. You invite us to be yours. You call us sons and daughters by the work of your hand. Would you let us be thankful would you let us make, make right where we've, where we've been wrong? God, would you let every single one of us put our trust in you, the perfect love. We love you because you first loved us in Jesus' name.